Today is March 18th and you're listening to the Daily Community Meetup on the same 24 hours podcast. This week I'm hosting Zoom online meetings at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time for us to join, see each other, commiserate, communicate, and to have a sense of belonging during this incredible stressful time. I thought for those who could attend we would have live video and for those who have to listen after hours that we would put it up on the podcast. So it makes it easier. You can listen but there's not a privacy thing with (laughs) with having video of all of our faces out there either. So today's guest Um, special guest during the live meeting was Jen Elizabeth. She is Resurrection of Me on Instagram. And her story, you guys, is just so incredible. So incredible. You don't want to miss this episode of the meeting. And hopefully you guys can join tomorrow as well or in the future because it's really nice to sit down and talk to people and just have a moment of silence and gratitude and grounding during this crazy time. I hope... I hope, I hope you all are doing okay, staying safe, and please reach out to me anytime if you need anything. That's what we're here for. Stay safe, talk to you soon, and enjoy this daily community meetup. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. So we are audio only on recording. So welcome to the third daily community meeting. And the reason behind this obviously is we're all kind of stuck at home. And I thought it would be fun to have a little grounding place for the day. And I don't get fancy for it. So you don't have to get fancy for it. Um, I am sweaty from a workout that was way too many hours ago. And I should have bathed and I didn't. So this is life. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. So I want, I prepared a couple of things to talk about, and then Jen is our special speaker today, and um, we met on Instagram, and she's fantastic, and in her hot pink hair and all, so I thought she'd be great to, to tell us her story, and it's fascinating, fascinating. So um, if anyone has any questions, let me know right now, and if not, we'll go ahead and get started. Okay, great. So um, what I want to start us with, and um, sorry, let me add this one person. Okay. What I want to start us with is um, a little meditation and not a formal meditation, but a meditative, meditative practice um, that will help ground us and let us be focused on where we are today and what we're doing for the next however long we are together. So I'd like you to just close your eyes wherever you are. And I would like you to think of two things that you are incredibly grateful for in this moment. In this moment with the crazy time, with the news, with all of the stuff going on, just two things. And they don't have to be big things. They can be, dear God, I am thank you. I am so thankful for this cup of coffee right now. And I am thankful that my kids are quiet (laughs) because that is me. Whatever it is, find a space of gratitude and let's ground ourselves there. 
and keep your eyes closed and just breathe. It doesn't have to be any rhythm to it. Just breathe because there's very few times in the day that we actually sit and we just breathe. So I'm gonna read you something and I want you to just think about it. And then when you open your eyes, I'm gonna read you something else and we're gonna have a great time together. So continue to breathe. What is in our hearts that we truly desire, want, need, seek, and search for? These words themselves, indicative of the frantic nature inside, looking, needing, wanting. In these times, the words to cling to are have and hold and inside, within. For within us, we hold the keys to true abundance and true calm. At the end of life, the things we hold will be love, community. We will remember the love we, we held for our lovers, our friends, our family. Gone will be the seeking for the things we may be seeking right now. Today in gratitude, let's turn our eyes to the end of life, not in a way to find sadness or fear or worry, but to focus on what truly matters, that this too shall pass. We have, we hold the life within, the love inside. This is the time to believe in abundance. This is the time to believe in ourselves. And you can open your eyes or you can keep them closed. I'm gonna read something from Sarah Bonbronick's book, The Simple Abundance. When you are worried about your health or the health of a loved one, your concentration focuses like a laser. Suddenly there's a clarity about all of life because you realize what's important. Living is important. Every day is a gift. You ask for another chance to get it right. Most of the time you're given it and you're very grateful. But worries about money mock you. They steal the joy of living because they follow, follow you around all day like a dark menacing shadow. At night, the worries about money hover at the foot of your bed wanting to rob you of sleep. When you're worried about money, you dread the days and you agonize at night. Without thinking, you throw away every one of the precious 24 hours that come your way. You cease to live and instead merely exist. If you are worried about money today, take heart. You have the power to change your lifestyle and move from a feeling of lack and deprivation to a feeling of abundance and fulfillment. Money ebbs and flows in our lives. What should remain constant is our realization that abundance is our spiritual birthright. The American gospel singer Mahalia Jackson once said, it is easy to be independent when you've got money, but to be independent when you haven't got a thing, that's the Lord's test. This is what I have learned and share with the seeker in you. The simpler we make our lives, the more abundant they become. There is no scarcity except in our souls. This was from January, but I, I read it today and I was like, oh my gosh, it should have been for today because whew, there's a lot going on with scarcity, with money, the whole system right now feels broken. And, you know, I sit here in a place of privilege, um, but I too live paycheck to paycheck. And 
the belief that everything is going to get better is fundamental in my belief system because it has to be, <laughs> it has to be. And the, you know, I worked in the foreclosure and financial industry for many years as a lawyer. And what I know is that this happens every, it, it, it happens every decade, it seems. Um, and the hard part is that when it happens to us individually, but the comfort that comes from this time is that most of the time when these sort of situations happen, communities and the world at large is impacted. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it is comforting to know that a lot of times there will be safety measures put in place to protect you. There will be options, there will be communities to gather. And so take comfort in that if you find yourself in that position as well. This time is very volatile, but the beautiful thing about it is it is global and it is a human condition. And when we come together as humans, we are able to make a difference. And one of the things I saw too was on Dave Ramsey's Instagram. For those of you who are really in a position of struggling financially right now, there's like a hierarchy of things to pay. <laughs> and this is just common sense. And um, if you're figuring out you know, what to do, number one is food. You got to feed yourselves. And, and interestingly, number two is utilities. And then number three is shelter. And people are like, well, I got to have a roof over my head. But in these times of global crisis, a lot of people can't afford the roofs over their heads. And that's why it's third to pay because you need your water and you need your electricity. And so that's just that. I thought that was a really great tidbit. There will be help for number three for shelter. There will be. Um, every time that something like this happens, the, there are moratoriums on foreclosures and evictions and that kind of thing. So um, take heart in food and utilities and in the community that we all are. So not to be doom and gloom <laughs> because we are going to live in a mindset of abundance and all of that to say that there is a way and when we're too close to it and the pain is too real, you can't often see a way. So I want us to go back to our heart center and think about what do I have an abundance of right now? And if we look carefully, there's, you know, an abundance of something in your life. And for me, it is children right now. They're everywhere. <laughs> Even though there's only two of them, there they are every time I turn around. Um, and I'm grateful for that very much. So I want to turn over today's meeting to Jen. She is resurrection underscore of underscore me on Instagram. And she has a fantastic story of rising from the ash and just choosing her life and taking an incredible step forward and, and courage. And so I want to turn it over to her and let, let her tell her story. And then after that, I definitely want to open it up for you guys to share just what's going on with you. And this is a community meeting and it's for you. So Jen, I'm going to unmute you. Hello, am I unmuted? <laughs> Go for it. So first, let me just say, um, true story. I was so excited to be talking to adults that I like ran and put on perfume. Like <laughs> I brushed my teeth at before these. <laughs> I mean, like it even matters, but I'm like adults, I need to put on perfume. Like what the heck? I, I'm, you know, yeah, I listened to your replay from your show yesterday, last night, and I heard you saying, like, you're just so grateful to, to be talking to people that are not children. I'm like, <laughs> woo, yeah, 
<laughs> I love that you started this with meditation. I'm a huge meditation junkie. I don't do anything fancy. Nothing about me is fancy except maybe my pink hair. Um, but I firmly, firmly believe in, in daily meditation, even if it's just 10 minutes. And, um, you know, I love the topic. And I don't think anybody on here knows my story, really. Um, so I'll just share it briefly. Um, community is something, you know, it's so, so important. Feeling connection to people and feeling um, that you're not alone. And, and this is not something I grew up with. You know, I, um, I really, ever since I can remember, grew up, you know, scrounging for people to love me. Um, you know, my mom, she unfortunately has Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy. And if you don't know what that is, it's very complicated. It's, um, if you've ever seen sharp objects or there's some specials on Netflix about it, but anyways, you know, she is, you know, severely struggles with severe mental illness. And I can remember you know, just being a little girl and like, I just, I just wanted her to hug me and I just wanted her to love me. And I, and I tried to do anything and be anyone else than myself um, in order for her to just, you know, tell me that she loved me or, you know, give me some attention. And I think that's, it's important to talk about that stuff because that kind of shaped the way I saw myself. You know, when I looked in the mirror, I saw what I thought she saw. And what I felt that she saw was someone that was not worthy of attention, that was not good enough, um, that was, you know, couldn't obey properly. <clears throat> I always thought I was doing something wrong. <clears throat> and so I was a child desperate for love and desperate for community and desperate for connection. And, you know, my parents, um, they just, you know, they have no tools to to survive themselves, honestly. And um, when I was about three, we joined a religious cult. And, you know, not to get into too much and have a bunch of trigger warnings, but, um, you know, in that situation, um, an elder started showing me the attention and love that I was craving. And, um, you know, he told me I was good and special and that, you know, God loved me. And, you know, I spent until I was almost 10, when my parents fled there, um, being shaped and shown and taught that the way to get love was to be still, be quiet, and let someone touch you no matter what, even if it hurts, and even if you're scared. And when we left that, we were in Alabama then, when we left there, I, at 10 years old, my capacity for even understanding any of that was that, well, I left there so I can leave it all behind me. And I kept so many secrets from my family, from the cult, that the secrets just grew inside of me. And, and when you don't have anyone to talk to, and this is what, another reason why community is so important, all is your, the only person you're talking to is yourself. And so there was no one to dispel those lies. And I've believed so many lies in my life. I have soaked them in to where I cannot see any different. I cannot see I was worth anything or that there was any hope for me. 
and you know eating disorders and self-harm and and so many things just started to manifest from all that shame and i was an alcoholic by the time i was 12 and alcohol really saved my life at one point i think that it's strange to say maybe um, but i also think a lot of people can relate to that um that um alcohol you know saved me from possibly killing myself i became very suicidal and and so confused and my mom was always trying to kill herself and i thought maybe that was the answer you know i couldn't save my mom there was nothing i could do to make her want to stay and i thought that was my fault and sometimes she would tell me that was my fault and i, I had no one else to tell me that those were lies or that was just an illness of hers and, and so I was just left alone by myself to figure it all out. So alcohol really was the first piece I had ever known in my entire life. Um, and my alcoholism grew and, um, <clears throat> you know, my story includes drugs and, you know, I became a heroin addict. Um, and again, soaked in every lie that I then started telling myself that I was, uh, you know, incapable of living life like regular people that i was dirty and damaged and there was nothing i could do to ever repair myself and so i lived under bridges and um you know in cars and flop houses and you know searched for love by giving myself to whoever may want me because i had no I, I saw no value in myself um, you know, eating from garbage cans. Um, there was a good year I was walking around the streets talking to myself in a psychosis. Um, I had sores all over my body. My teeth were rotting out of my mouth. Um, I had lost the ability to read, which is amazing that I actually wrote a book <laughs> that I'm actually speaking to you guys somewhat, somewhat cleverly. Um, you know, I was really, really at the bottom. And, you know, I, I ended up in prison, which is, again, you know, is a lot of solitude, a lot of loneliness, a lot of despair. Um, but something happened to me in prison. And, you know, whether you believe in God or the universe or it doesn't really matter to me, but something big happened to me there where, you know, I was looking out this little window, staring at the prison yard. <clears throat> and there was just this teeny spark ignited in me that that suddenly believed just a little bit that i didn't want to die like that that i was worth a little bit more than like overdosing in a riverbed as a transient and that's really where where my trauma and addictions they were leading there and i'm surprised that did not happen to me it's a miracle lots of miracles and it's amazing what can happen when a tiny spark ignites, you guys, because that spark has, has raged into an absolute forest fire. And it has taken me years. And I, you know, at first thought drugs and alcohol were my problem. And if I could just remove those, that I would be fixed and cured. And um, clearly, if anybody's in recovery from alcoholism or addiction or whatever, you know that that's not true you know all the pain that you've been running from suddenly comes just pouring out of every pore in your body 
And after about two years in recovery, I thought, if this, if this is it, I, I can't do this anymore. I was in so much pain, so much memories from my childhood coming back, um, nightmares. And, and I, I just, you know, I really, I, fir- I put my feet firmly on the ground and said, this is enough. I cannot do this anymore. And I, I started to really dig deeper into inner child work, inner child healing. Um, I went to therapy, obviously still my addiction recovery. Um, and I slowly found the woman inside of me. Um, and I slowly began to love her. And, I, and when we were talking about meditation, um, you know, one thing that really, really saves me big time every day is I do a meditation where I hold an actual, hold on my daughter. Okay, I'll be right in, shut the door and I'll be right there, tell Gage. I actually, um, okay. I actually take a picture of myself as a little girl, a tangible picture, and I look at it and I hold it to my heart and I close my eyes and I envision myself picking up that little girl from the corner of the room on the floor and I twirl her in the sunlight and I tell her she is love and light and perfect and that none of that was ever her fault and that that is not pain that she has to carry anymore and that together we can walk through anything and whether you had a happy childhood and maybe maybe your trouble started as a teen or or maybe it was when you were a young mother and you just were overwhelmed and turned to the bottle whatever that's that pivot point was I think it's so important for us to go back and nurture that person because as I am loving that little girl, um, what's happening is that the woman I am today is showing up as if I was raised from a woman of my heart, a woman with my heart, a mother, you know, the kind of heart of mother I have. Um, You know, I, I just think that for me being alone, was I spent so much of my life like that. And, um, you know, it is true that we are at, right now in this time where we're supposed to be distancing ourselves. And I prefer to say physical distancing rather than social distancing because I really feel like my social connections have to be vamped up right now. Um, because being alone with myself, no matter how much work I've done um, to heal my life, that voice starts coming back of you're not good enough or you're failing or you're damaged or no one's going to want to hear your story. No one can relate to being under a bridge or, you know, you shouldn't speak that because what if they're not going to like you or, you know, all these things, or you're not a good enough mom or whatever it is. And they're lies and they're lies. And, you know, I'm here to say that I will not believe those lies anymore. You know, um, life is, we are all, every single one of us, are abundant. Our abundance is in ourselves. You know, we are so capable and so beautiful and, and so nurturing that, you know, I really feel like when I dig within myself and see the beauty in myself, then I'm able to see so much beauty outside. You know, when life is dark on the inside, I can't see anything else anywhere around me. So, you know, I've been in recovery since May 1st, 2011. 
And, you know, I have children today and I almost didn't become a mom because I was sure that I would be a mom like my mom, or I was worried I might be damaged from being, you know, a survivor of child abuse and child sexual abuse. That maybe, what if I did something horrible to my children? And I remember giving birth to my son and I was in so much fear and I never told anybody. I kept it all to myself because I was so afraid if somebody heard my fears that they would look at me and say, you know, think I was going to be a terrible mom, a terrible mother. And I remember when they laid his pink body on my chest and I looked at that, you know, slimy face screaming at me, just, it hit me that I was capable, that no matter what I had done or had been done to me, no matter what, you know, misstep I had taken and all the mistakes I had made and all the ways I had abused myself, because I've been my biggest abuser, honestly, it all went away. And I just knew that I am capable. I am capable of doing what my heart sets itself on, you know? And, you know, now I have a daughter too, which um, brought up a lot about, you know, when I was pregnant with her, I really d dove deep into my issues with, with being a woman and what being a woman means and, and what I had been taught and shown about, you know, the strength of a woman. And, and, you know, I was taught so many lies. Um, and I really just reshaped myself and I've real rebuilt everything that I thought was once true and, and rebuilt it to be what is really true for me. And that is that, you know, I am capable of being a mother and my daughter will not be shown that she has to give herself to anybody for love or be anything other than she is for love that love comes freely because she is she herself because we all deserve love and it's our god-given you know right to be loved and we shouldn't have to earn it um so that's really it. I don't know how long I've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Jen. So I've been following you for a long time and <laughs> I have not heard the story from start to finish. And so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. That. You're um, welcome. And, and I thought I wrote a couple of things down that you mentioned and I thought were dead on is you mentioned your mom and, and our parents, how they just didn't have tools. And I, I think that's such an, important distinction when we think about our parents, our grandparents, is that they had like a lot of them just had really shitty tools. Yeah. <laughs> they had this sure. terrible toolbox full of shitty tools. And and where we are is learning better tools and and how to use them and, and our kids are going to do better and everyone is doing better. But um I, I appreciate you you saying that. And a couple other things that I thought were interesting to bring up that alcohol saved you. And, and I have heard that from Britt Frank, who's one of my psychotherapist friends saying that I love her. Yeah. I mean, she's great. And but she always says that we should thank our, our addictions, our, um, our vices because they are helping us cope. And, and yes, at some point we have to get rid of them, but right. they are protective mechanisms keeping us alive at some point. And yes, if you use them incorrectly, they're going to keep you. But I thought that was an interesting approach to recovery is to be thankful that you've been through it and, and as you go through it. And, and that was good. You brought, brought that up too. And another thing is, um, <clears throat> well, two other things that you mentioned. 
is believing the lies that you were told. And this is such an integral part of the work I do and, and that I mentioned in my book that we have to identify the lies we've been told our whole lives. We have to name them, we have to see them and then be like to hell with these. <laughs> these are not right. true. These are, you know, to know no more. And then that you found that spark. And then when you find that spark, it can ignite a flame. And man, this was, this was powerful, Jen. Thank you so very, very much for sharing. And um, if you will, in the chat, if you'll post your social media links, and I'm going to put this up on podcasts. And so anyone can follow her through that. But anyone that's listening live, I definitely want to follow her. She's a very completely <laughs> colored Instagram. <laughs> I am. I, I hold nothing back. <laughs> I am. Yeah. <laughs> Hair and all. So thank Hair you. Hair and all. That's right. That's right. So does anyone else, um, I would, I'm going to mute you back, Jen, but if you want to comment. Um, yeah. Oh, how do I do the chat part? Oh, so on the bottom, there's a little yeah. that says chat. Can you see it? No. Okay. Well, I'll type. I always spell okay. your. Uh, let me see. I think I it's R E S. Hold on. U. Instagram.com. R E S S. R E. I think it's one S and U two R's. And then yeah. A T I. Yeah. E K T I O N. Yeah. Of underscore me. Whoops. I'm sending this privately. Hold, please. <laughs> I'm on my phone, so I don't see a chat. Okay. Button. Got it. That's Here by the way. All right. So there you there, go. And I'll, I'll post it too in the, you'll find it everywhere. Anywhere. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to mute you back, but if you want to talk again, just raise your hand. Um, okay. But free Perfect. to scream at your children going forward. <laughs> oh my gosh. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, does anyone else, would they like to share? Because this is a meeting. It's not an AA meeting, but if anyone would like to, to share what's going on, what's, what you're struggling with, um, your story, anything. It's, it's a great, I, I call this a great opportunity for anyone who's scared of public speaking to try. <laughs> because if we can't make each other better, then what's the point? Um, but feel free to just raise your hand or chat if, if you'd like to say anything or if anything's weighing on you. And, and if not, that's cool too. I'm here for you. And um, yeah, that's, that's the summary of my rambling. Oh, oh Amy. Hello, my dear. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good. I just wanted to um, comment that, uh, Jen Elizabeth, what you just shared was so powerful. Um, really touched my heart. And, you know, one of the things that I'm finding, especially during this time, I'm going to get all emotional, people. Um, it's amazing that we are separated by having to be in our own spaces. And yet here we are coming together. And I think many, many people feel this way that, um, that the community is so important. But I think what it does for me is, and, and what you talked about is, what is community? Um, for me, when you found that spark, I think you found your, uh, your road back to community, which is that which is um, of the universe that's in all of us. So if you guys think this is way too woo, just roll your eyes, whatever. Um, 
I love it. <laughs> I think that what I've discovered in the, you know, on, uh, on the cusp of my 60th year is that we are so much more connected to one another and to source than we could ever even imagine. And until each of us goes through whatever hell and that we have to go through and really lean into it, um, to use an overused phrase, you don't realize that at the very, very base of it, the community, that spark, that part of you that is the same as the part of everybody else that connects us all is really the most important thing to nurture. So I see you, you know, you're so creative, obviously, in everything that you're doing. Meredith, I see you using your creativity. Um, I yearn to use my creativity to, again, lean into that part of me that's part of community, that's part of connection, that's part of the universe. And I, I think the great irony of what is happening to our world outside of obviously the very devastating pain and difficulty it presents for many, many people is that we will, like many times before, as a community and individuals rise up from our you know, collective and individual ashes with hopefully a greater sense of connection and compassion and energy where we are not separated, but we are actually far more connected. Um, that's all. Just wanted to share that. I love that. <laughs> so great. I love this girl right here, Amy. She, I mean, we met, gosh, it's been, I guess, 10 years now in spinning class back in Atlanta. Yeah. And um, just such a such a great year. I, I appreciate you. you. I appreciate your friendship and always your insight. And thank you. Well, and you guys, I don't know if any of you have been lucky enough to work with Meredith as a coach. Um, I thought I had it all figured out. <laughs> and then life does this thing where it says, huh, guess what? You do not. And I will never forget the day after Thanksgiving, I was out walking by myself and thinking, I hate myself. I hate everything. I am the worst person in the world. I need to get my head out of my ass. And I saw Meredith post something about, no, it's almost December. I've got room for coaching. And I immediately texted her. And I was like, I'm in. Just, just, I need your <laughs> um, It was such a great uh, three months. I think it was at three months, Mare? Well, I think, I think we did 16 weeks. 16 weeks. Best 16 weeks ever, totally held me accountable. But most importantly, she guided me to um, discovering what those lies were that I was telling myself, what was preventing me from loving myself, and really looking at my past enough to just go, I'm done with you. I'm done. I see it. On we go. Because we got to become our best versions of ourselves. That's our only job on this planet. Yeah. Um, Meredith, uh, Meredith, you really helped me get, again, my head out of my ass, and I really appreciate that. And I encourage anyone who's thinking about it to totally jump in on that. All right, shameless plug I'm over. I'm in my ass at the moment, so <laughs> who's going to pull my head out of my ass? No, I mean, it's so, you know, I think the interesting thing about, and I talked to Reverend Jeffrey Grant on my podcast this morning, I posted it today, if you guys need some some inspiration, like go listen to that podcast. It, he was great. He's so great. But um, I think the biggest kind of coaching takeaway and things I've learned over the last decade, if I could summarize it, would be that we are just here and it is not linear. 
it is the zigzagged crazy path. And for some reason we got it in our head that we were going to go on the straight line from the day we were born to the goal that we created or the ones that our parents gave us. And just the acceptance that every day is an opportunity to start over and to assess where we are and that there is no wagon to fall off of, that there's only today. I mean, it, it really does give you a sense of freedom in a way that is, it's like a deep breath. It's like, okay, I don't have to get it all right this second. I don't have to be perfect. I mean, for example, I don't eat gluten. And this morning, my child made biscuits and there was fig jam. And she, do you want a biscuit? And I'm like, yes, I want a biscuit. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that is going to hurt me so bad. And, and it was so good. And I ate biscuits with my daughter and I am not one bit sorry, you know, and, but there's a part of me that from two years ago who would have taken those biscuits as evidence of why I'm a failure of why I will never do anything. And this is coming from someone who very much loves a meal plan and I very much abide by it. Um, but to me, you know, that is life. We are cooped up. You want to eat a biscuit, eat a biscuit. If you want to go for a walk, go for a walk. And this is what life is. And, and coming to that realization, maybe like a lot of people are like, duh. <laughs> but for me, that's like a light bulb moment um, that we're here to live and, and it's not linear. And so every, every day is a new opportunity to start over and, and whatever that looks like to roll with it. And I think, Amy, you do a really good job with that. Oh, thank you. I wanted to say to Jennifer Elizabeth, um, is it Jen Elizabeth or Jennifer Elizabeth? Jen. Jen. I love the imagery of the spark. I love that. And I love that you meditate. Meditation is a huge part of my daily life as well. And I find the most um, satisfaction when I'm really envisioning firing that flame. So mm. I, I have to tell you, I, I'm in great awe of, I loved your story. I love your bravery. And I love that takeaway is thinking about the spark. I'm going to think about that a lot. Thank you for sharing. Aww, that. I'm so glad. I love that. Thank you. Awesome. Does anyone else want to share anything? Any realizations, sparks, flames, anything? Okay. If not, I'm going to close with, this, this might be a little lengthy, so if you have to pop off, go ahead. I'm no offense taken, but I'm back in my Stillness is the Key book with Ryan Holiday. Anyone that's in my coaching knows that I am in a stoic in training. <laughs> Perception, action, will. It has really helped me, the, the, the work of the Stoics, and Ryan Holiday is a modern-day Stoic, and I adore him. But um, I pulled this back out this morning because I – when I started doing these meetings, I thought how powerful it is about stillness because we all have the opportunity to be still right now um, amidst the crazy. And I flipped back when I started reading this book about a year ago, whenever it came out, um, there's a story in here about John F. Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I thought it was just so powerful um, the way that Ryan Holiday wrote about it. But I underlined some parts of that story, so I won't read the whole thing to you. But parts of this were just incredible. When you think about the stakes that were um, at issue during the Cuban Missile Crisis and how he chose, John F. Kennedy chose stillness as part of his way to get through it. And so I'm just going to read part of this and then we'll close out. 
Um, the CIA identified the ongoing construction of medium and long range Soviet ballistic missiles on the island of Cuba, just 90 miles from the American shore. The advice from Kennedy's advisors was immediate and emphatic, sorry. The missile sites must be destroyed with the full might of the country's military arsenal. Every second wasted risked the safety and the reputation of the United States. Their logic was both, their logic was both primal and satisfying. Aggression must be met with aggression. Tit replied with tap. The only problem was that if their logic turned out to be wrong, no one would be around to account for their mistake because everyone would be dead. Unlike in the early days of his presidency when Kennedy allowed the CIA to pressure him into supporting the Bay of Pigs, this time he surprised everyone by pushing back. Kennedy wanted everyone to slow down so, they, so that they could really think about the problem in front of them. This is, in fact, the first obligation of a leader and a decision maker. Our job is not to go with our gut or fixate on the first impression we form about an issue. No, we need to be strong enough to resist thinking that is too neat, too plausible, and therefore almost always wrong. Because if the leader can't take the time to develop a clear sense of the bigger picture, who will? If the leader isn't thinking through all the way to the end, who is? Kennedy quoted a passage, keep strong if possible. In any case, keep cool. Have unlimited patience. Never corner an opponent. And, as, and always assist him to save face. Put yourself in his shoes so as to see things through his eyes. Avoid self-righteousness like the devil. Nothing is so self-blinding. It became Kennedy's motto during the missile crisis. I think we ought to think of why the Russians did this, he told his advisors. What is the advantage they are trying to get, he asked, with real interest. With his capacity to understand the problems of others, the president could see how threatening the world might have looked to the Kremlin. This understanding would help him respond properly to this unexpected and dangerous provocation. There's a, pen, there's a picture of Kennedy with his back to the room, hunched over, leaning both fists on the big desk he had been chosen by millions of voters to occupy. This is a man with the fate of the world on his shoulders. He has been provoked by a nuclear superpower and a surprise act of bad faith. Critics are questioning his courage. There are political considerations, personal considerations. There are more factors than any one person should be able to weigh in at one time. Yet he lets none of this rush him. None of it will cloud his judgment or deter him from doing the right thing. He is the stillest guy in the room. It isn't the first step that concerns me, he said to his advisors as much to himself, but both sides escalating to the fourth and fifth step. And we don't go to the sixth because there's no one around to do so. We must remind ourselves we're embarking on a very hazardous course. Each of us will, in summary, as he paused and saved the world. <laughs> but the end of this is what I really liked. Each of us will, in our own lives, face crisis. The stakes may be lower, but to us, they will matter. A business on the brink of collapse, a divorce, a decision about the future of our career, a moment where the whole game depends on us. These situations will call upon us, our, all of our mental resources, an emotional reactive response 
An unthinking, half-baked response will not cut it, not if we want to get it right, not if we want to perform at our best. In these situations, uh, what we will need is that same stillness that Kennedy drew upon, his calmness, his open-mindedness, his empathy, his clarity about what really mattered. In these situations, much like we are in now, we must be fully present, empty our mind of preconceptions, take our time, sit quietly and reflect, reject distraction, weigh advice against the counsel of our convictions, and deliberate without being paralyzed. We must cultivate mental stillness to succeed in life and to successfully navigate the many crises it throws our way. It will not be easy, but it is essential. So that was long, <laughs> but one way to say that during this time that the stillness, the meditation that Jen mentioned, that Amy mentioned, that, I, that we did at the beginning is key. Stillness is the key. And I appreciate you all taking time today to spend it with me. And um, sorry, I unmuted everyone. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. I mean, I'm glad for you to say bye. But <laughs> um, anyway, so thank you for this time. Um, we'll be online again tomorrow. And I have a, another great speaker, but I'll be sure to post up the link to Jen's um, social so you can follow her. But thank you all. It was great. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.